Second Samuel chapter 7. And our text for this morning's message will be from verses 12 down to verse number 16. Verses 12 down to verse number 16 of the portion of God's holy word that we read earlier. When the days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Amen. And our title for this morning's message is The Coming Son of David. The Coming Son of David. We live in a world that is so prone to change. I think many of you know that. We see so much change and unrest in our world. And the longer we live in this world, the more we see that it is subject to change. And that is a challenge for many of us. And we ask the question, when we see such change around us, what does the future bring? Is it a good future? Is it a bad future? Is it a mixture of both, perhaps? You young people here this morning, you may be wondering or worrying about work. What kind of job will you do in the future? What will you study? Perhaps those who are older and have more experience, you are asking a different question. And your concerns, not about yourself, but perhaps the next generation, Your children, your children's children, and indeed of the nation itself. You realize, like we see more and more, we're not going to be around in a hundred years, are we? Many of us. Or or in a thousand years. What will the future bring? What will it bring for the next generation? And it's an important thing to pray about, isn't it? To think about what the future will bring. Because we know as Christians that it is in God's hand what the future will bring. We look at our children and wonder what kind of adults will they be? And we pray, as we rightly should, for the right growth and maturity and change. We, we don't want our children to be children forever, do we? We want them to be, grow up. And to become adults, to change and to learn the skills that they will require to face a challenging and changing world. And this world is filled with challenges and difficulties. And it has been so ever since the fall of Adam. Ever since sin came into this world. What if somebody could tell you what the future would hold for your children? Very specifically for your children and for your great-grandchildren after them and after them again and the next generation. 
And if it was good news, you'd find out perhaps that they are becoming doctors. Or perhaps you find out that they're missionaries to foreign lands with the gospel. Or they've gone into gospel ministry. That would be encouraging, wouldn't it? Maybe they become soldiers and are very brave. Maybe they're firefighters or police officers. That would be encouraging. But as you and I both know, we don't know the future. We don't know what the future will bring. Except for what God has revealed in his holy word. But we don't know about our own specific family. But we do know about this family spoken about in the scriptures. David's family. A very specific revelation of God. A promise shown by David. There's good news for David. It's encouraging news for when his life ends. His throne will not end as it did with Saul. King Saul's kingdom and house tragically fell. And David has been shown a future where the throne will continue, not just for a brief moment in time, forever. Isn't that encouraging news? But it's not just good news for David and his physical line. It's also encouraging news for all of us whose king is the great son of David himself, who this text is pointing towards. You see, we don't know what the future will hold. We don't know what's going to happen to those people we're witnessing to, and we know that they deny Christ. We don't know what's going to happen with members of your family who currently are not believers. But we do know the future. If you are a believer today, you're part of a kingdom which will never be removed. Part of a kingdom which will reign forever and ever with the son of David on the throne. So this is good news for us all, not just for David himself in that day. Our first point this morning is the seed of David. Number one, the seed of David. Verses 12 and verse number 13. And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for, the, for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Notice what he says here. The Lord, this is Nathan the prophet speaking, giving this prophecy from God. And what is he saying? And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. David, when you die, when you're no longer here, what will happen? I will set up thy seed after thee. His seed. His son. And his son's son. And his son's son after him. And what do we think of when we think of the next line? Who is the next in line to the throne? Who took the throne next? Solomon, wasn't it? And then we have Rehoboam after him. But this kingdom is not just pointing towards Solomon and his reign, 
or Rehoboam and his reign and all the other kings that would follow after him. It's pointing towards somebody far greater than David, far greater than Solomon, far greater than Rehoboam, and far greater than any of the kings who came after them. But it points toward one who is true man. True man. Who was he? Born of the seed of David. And we see this in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's very important, isn't it? In the scriptures, he is the son of David. He's part of that royal seed. He's part of that royal line that will be established and never, ever fade away. Many kings and lines have gone throughout history and are now no more. They are memories now. But not this line. The line of the king of David. The line of David himself. And they would be looking for, we see this in the New Testament. They were looking for the son of David. They would worship him. They were looking, they were seeking for him to come. Matthew 21 and verse 9. Matthew 21 and verse number 9. Says this. And the multitudes they went before and they followed, cried, saying, Hosanna. That is, Save, we pray thee with a shout of praise. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The son of David. So they were looking for the ultimate son of David. The anointed one. The Messiah to come. The Christ himself. I think we can all almost forget the significance of these titles that they're pointing out, here's the one that they've been looking for. Here is the great king who would reign forever and ever. He's a great king. A great man. But not just merely any man. He's also true God. True God. And true man. Why do I say this? Because the scriptures reveal this. And we're either prone to downplay his humanity, that he's man, or the fact that he is God. As man, he is in one place, as man. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, today. He ever lives to intercede for us, today. But as God, he filleth all things. He controls every single thing across this world. Imagine when Jesus was asleep in the boat during the storm. He was in control of the storm in his divine nature. He controlled everything he ever, there's never a moment when he didn't control everything and fill everything. That is a true God, but he's also true man in every sense of the word. We don't want to downplay how miraculous 
this son of David, the seed of David was. He was born of a virgin. His miraculous conception conceived in the womb of Mary without a human father. That is, an, that is amazing. Why is this important? He came as a man because he came to suffer and die. He came to represent us. He came as the second Adam. Where Adam failed, he succeeded and was victorious over the enemy. He was that seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. Described in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He came to die, friends. In our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it talks about how God is without body, parts, or passions. That last word might seem strange if you ever read that. He's without passions. A simple way of saying that is this. He doesn't suffer. He doesn't suffer. Our God cannot suffer. He's without shadow of turning. He is unchanging and unchangeable. He cannot be affected by like us creatures are. But Jesus came into this world and assumed human flesh. He came to suffer. Isn't that an amazing thing? The infinite God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who could not suffer, assumed human flesh in order to come and die and suffer in the place of sinners. That is the significance of that is, he is of the seed of David, true man. He has a genealogy. He has a family line that goes all the way back. All the way back to the very beginning. Do you marvel at the son of David? Are we thankful for him? I wonder when we're going through suffering, it's so easy, isn't it, to complain. Why is this happening to me? How long more will the suffering go on for you? may be going through health problems. And you're wondering, is there going to be any more of these challenges? Will the doctor give me more bad news the next time I visit him? Or perhaps something's going wrong at work. And you don't feel you have, you're constantly under pressure because you're Christian faith. And you're just wondering, am I going to catch a break at all? But friend, who suffered willingly for you? Who has suffered far more than any of us ever will suffer? The son of David. And he willingly assumed that and became man. See, he came for a reason. He came for a reason. Whatever anxiety you may be going through, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes our anxiety can be sinful. Sometimes we're worried about things that will never happen. We, we imagine things that could happen. We lose sleep over things. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew what he was going to face. And he sweat drops of blood. Because he knew. There was no sinful anxiety there. 
He was in anguish over what he would certainly face. He didn't want to do that in his human nature. Not my will, O Lord, but thine be done. None of us want to suffer. But the Lord came and willingly suffered and died in our place. And it is because of what Jesus did that this throne that we're speaking about here in this text is established. I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels. It is what the son of David, the ultimate son of David did that will allow this good news to shine forth and to be victorious over the enemy. And friends, we have two two seeds that we can be part of. We can either be represented by the seed of David, this son of man who represents us as believers in Jesus Christ, or we are like the world, still in Adam. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. You see, the sincere, that sincere neighbor, she's not a believer. Or that person who may come to church and think, I'm a good person. If you think you're a good person, friend, you are believing in a different religion entirely. Do you know that? If you are trusting in your own good works, you're not trusting in Jesus Christ. You are still in Adam. In Adam all die. No matter how sincere you may be. Our second point now, number two. The seed of David. Number two now, the seat of David. The seat of David. And for any king, a king sits upon a very important seat. And it is the place of rest for the king. If we're after a long day's work, what do we do? We sit down in our chair, we're tired, and we find rest in that seat. But the seat of David, it is a great throne. Verse 13 and verse Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And David has been challenged, hasn't he? By the, the, the house of Saul. If you remember Saul. Saul was very jealous of David. Oh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. It's like, they're looking to David more. And, and Saul sees that the kingdom really has been torn away from him and given to David. So Saul is jealous. And he wishes to strike out at David. The, tr- the, through, the true throne. Now Saul is a complex figure. And you probably see this when you're reading through the scriptures. And sometimes Saul may appear to be very impressive. And you might actually wonder, is he really that bad when you're reading through him? But you have to think about it like this way, friends. When you see Saul, here is the choice of the people. And Samuel warned the people, as God told them, that when they asked for a king to be like all the other nations around them, they were not rejecting 
Samuel. They're rejecting God. Samuel warned them. See, Saul was unfaithful. It was different to David. David was a man after God's own heart. David was the choice of God, the chosen of God. Saul was the choice of the people. Yes, at times looked impressive. And sinful zeal took him in wrong places. But his house fell. Not just Saul, but his whole house fell. Only one, Mephibosheth, son of Saul, was lame in his feet. And that, and he's brought into the house of David because for one reason, by grace, because of a covenant that David and Jonathan had, but the, the house of Saul had fallen. The house of Saul was given to jealousy. He hated David. And what happened to the house of Saul? Look at verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from thee. There's a great contrast, isn't there, between Saul, the choice of the people, and David, the choice of God. One looks impressive before man. One is pleasing before God. One is jealous for the kingdom, wants it for himself. The other one is led by God. And Saul had power and glory and fame for a brief moment. The throne fell. Now, that would have been a good news. When the, to David, he hears now that his throne, even after he goes, his sons will not fall. And it won't have to do with the goodness of that line at all. It's going to be by grace. Because it says, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him. But then verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart away from him. God will establish it. Why does the house of David stand? Because of God. Why why does the church endure for thousands of years? Because Jesus built it. Sustains it, maintains it, the Spirit of Almighty God. And that's what makes the difference the grace of God. But the Lord makes a promise, doesn't He? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But that is to the church, it's not to any one specific branch of the church or any specific congregation of the church. But the church will continue. The house of David will endure and continue. And while other things, other kingdoms may look impressive to you, this is what will endure. The things we spend our time and the things we spend our money and the things we invest so much in, the things we're jealous of and lash out in, the things of rebellion, the things that will return to dust one day, they will fall. And the house of Saul is no more but the house of David, the throne of David, the seat of David continues. Friends, this morning, what do you trust? Don't trust in your church attendance. Don't trust in your good works. 
Don't trust in nice deeds or don't trust in the opinion of other people, what people think of you. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. They're so different because external religion that is only for the the Sabbath day, it looks impressive. It doesn't just look impressive to some people in the church. It looks impressive to the people in the world. You'll have a neighbor say, oh, I admire your faith. Have you ever been told that? Friends, it is not your church attendance that will save you. It is faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, of course, come to church. Worship him. It's a joy. It's a privilege. But it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What we do here, what we do here is the most important thing that we will do all week. That is worship God. But it is of God, for the glory of God. And if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, the son of David, we are serving the true king. We're not serving another king. We do this imperfectly, of course. Do not seek your own throne, friends. Saul saw his own throne and it fell. If you seek your own throne, it will last a brief moment. It will appear to work for a time, but the devil is cunning. And he will sift you as wheat. But friends, though it may not look impressive to the world, look to the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. A third point, number three now, the surrender of David. The surrender of David. So the seed of David, the seat of David, the surrender of David. Verse number 14. I will be his father and he shall be my son. In a lot of ways, this is really pointing towards Solomon. But there's a lot of this can't possibly be ending in just Solomon. This has to go to the ultimate son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's also parts of this that are clearly pointing toward Solomon and all that will pass on after him. If he commit iniquity, verse 14, I will chasten him with the rod of iron, or with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. And this is really speaking of one who sins. This is speak Solomon sinned. Rehoboam sinned. The kings of Judah that came after, they sinned. And we see the results of such sin when you look at the book of Jeremiah. When you look at the book of Isaiah. You see the results of such sin which led to judgment in Babylon. But how does it point toward Jesus Christ? Can it? Now it cannot fully speak about Christ because Christ never sinned. Christ never could sin. But friends, I want us to think about this before we look at Solomon. Before we look at chastisement that will be given to the line of David if they ever drift away from him, Jesus suffered for the sins of others. Actually, it's it's in a different category to this. He suffered the wrath of God for, for sins and things he never did. 
He suffered the wrath of man for false accusations made against him. And he surrendered to it willingly for the glory of God. He was mocked, he was ridiculed. Now, that's in a different, when the Lord, the Father, pours out his wrath upon the Son, that is the divine displeasure and he is just as satisfied. But this is different here. This is not the wrath of God. This is loving chastisement. You see, I think we have a very negative view of correction often. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him, or I will correct with punishment, by punishment, with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. David, if your sons or your sons' sons after you, if they drift from me, then there will be correction. And there was severe correction that came in the life of Judah, especially, and in the northern kingdom as well. We will suffer in this world, won't we, for our sins? Not as we deserve, but there can be consequences for the things that we do. Sometimes we will do something sinful. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I can fall into grievous sin. I think we can often forget that. But for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, there go I. And when we do fall into sin, and there is serious consequences for that sin. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is loving correction. It is loving correction. And none of us want to go through such correction, do we? None of us think, oh, punishment, that's wonderful. None of us think that. But it is out of love that it happens. In Solomon's own life, there were sin. There was much sin. And it led to consequences that outlived his life. The kingdom was split in two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But the mercy of God never, ever departs from the house of David. Jesus suffered at the hands of men for false accusations. They rejected him. They suffered but we, he suffered for lies that were made up about him, but also for the sin of others, for the sin of believers. Now we also have to point out as well, just because something bad happens in your life does not mean it is God punishing you. Look at Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, we see Job almost like an avalanche of one thing after another. It's almost like dominoes. One bad thing happens, and another bad thing happens, and another bad thing happens. But it's very clear from the book of Job, it is not linked to any specific sin that Job was involved in. Actually, Job was a very godly man who shunned evil. So just because you're going through a difficult time, that does not mean... God's hand is against you. We may not ever know the reason in this world we go through certain things. But for whatever the reason, 
For whatever the challenge you may be facing this morning, the difficulty, the thing that robs you of sleep, whatever it is, it is to make you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, more like Jesus. That's the reason. To make you more like Christ, to make you more holy, it is for a good reason. Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, he goes through difficult times. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. We're driven into envy and jealousy of their brother. Joseph was a godly man. But it had a purpose, a holy purpose. But if God is chastening you, friend, it is not a sign that God hates you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you love Jesus. It is to correct you and draw you away. In the same way we would correct our own children. We love our children. We, we don't want our children to go in a certain direction. Here is the direction of sin. And it burdens our hearts. So we chasten. We correct. We punish them appropriately for the, for the sin that they have done. We want them to hate sin. We want them to love righteousness. I don't know the boys and girls here this morning. Do you know that if your mommy and daddy correct you, it's out of a heart of love. It's not because of hatred. See, we look at this text and we go, hmm, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? But this is loving, friends. The Lord loves his children. Is he chastening you here this morning? Perhaps he is. Perhaps there's some very clear sin that the Word of God, that the Spirit of God has shown you, but you're not willing to deal with it. And there may be chastisement in your heart then. There may be chastisement in the circumstances of your life. But it is all to bring you closer to Him. This is all by the loving hand of God. It may not be chastisement. It may not be but he, isn't this an amazing thing? The Lord wants us closer to him. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord loves you. No, I don't mean in the general love, you know, people say God loves everybody. I mean in the way that he delights in his children. That delighting love that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Will we not endure? Will we not go and accept the circumstances of our life? And I'm not saying any of this is easy. It's not. Maybe, maybe things are difficult for you. I don't know. But then one of the hardest things in life is when you are going through suffering is to accept it and to thank God for it. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, Job loses so much when he said that, but he still thanks God. It's an amazing thing. And we can read it, and in theory, we know it's the right thing to do, to give praise to God, even in the midst of difficulty. But friends, when you're in the middle of it, that's when it's hard. Oh, it's easy in theory, isn't it? But so difficult in practice. We need the Spirit's help. 
in all these things. So finally, number four, the, uh, the security of David. So we've looked at the seed of David, the seat, the surrender, and finally, number four, the security. The security. Verses 13 and verse number 16. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And I want to point out this. Forever. And then finally, number 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. None of us know the future, do we? But we only know that which the Lord has revealed unto us. And we've only been given in the scriptures that which is beneficial to us. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Those other things, the things that belong unto the Lord our God, that belongs to the Lord. And the Lord graciously reveals things about the future to encourage us, to keep us going. But that's all we need, what has been revealed. And there's a security in David. We all wish to feel safe, don't we? There's been recently a lot of storms. There's been a lot of rain. and Businesses have been damaged. Even some church buildings have been flooded and other things like that. And we may feel safe. Friend, you may feel safe this morning spiritually. But unless you are in Jesus Christ, this forever does not apply to you. You see, you say, well, how does this apply to me? Because we're in the son of David. He represents us. He is our king. We're part of this royal family. It's not just a promise to David. It's a promise to his seed. It's a royal seed. And this promise comes out so many different ways in the scriptures. But he's saying, your seed is secure. It is safe. We'll take out car insurance, won't we? We'll take out house insurance in case there's a leak or there's damage or whatever may happen in the midst of storms and the trials of life. But no matter what happens in your future, forever is there. Forever. Now, there's many young people. We, and I say this as somebody who's maybe, hopefully, Lord willing, grown up a little bit over the years, but we can think we can live forever. You're in your 20s, and maybe you're about 18 or 19, and the idea of time going so fast, what Solomon writes about in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's strange. That this world is almost like grasping at the wind. It, it's gone so quickly. Now, the longer we've been in this world, we, we kind of know this. I think you get to a certain point in your life, you say, oh, how fast time goes. When you're young, you think time goes so slowly. You can't wait to get older. You can't wait to be treated with a bit more respect, perhaps. Seek not the here and now. See, the great temptation when you're young is to live for the here and now because you think you're, this is all it's ever going to be. This life is so brief. And there's only one way your future is secure. There's no other way outside of this 
throne which has been established forever and ever. An unending kingdom, a rock, a place of refuge, a place of security. And you can't have the security anywhere else. Why do we have hope for the future? Because the Lord's mercy endureth forever. That's why. And why is that promise true? Because the Lord changes not. If the Lord changed in any way, shape, or form, the promises of God could also change and we would be without hope. We're sinners. It is a sure, the Lord's promises are as sure as God himself. And there was a certainty in that day, David learns about his son and the ultimate coming son, He came 2,000 years ago, but he's also coming again. That is sure. It's been revealed in the scripture. There's coming a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is sure. Are we living for that day? Or are you living for the here and now? See, to live for the here and now, that's to live like the kingdom Saul had. You're grasping at it. And you're frustrated that you're losing grip on this life because this life is so so brief that you lash out at the one who's given you life. Remember Saul, he was so jealous, he grabbed a javelin and threw it at David. His anger and his jealousy was so much. Friends, we get such a brief time in this world. We must look to the real king. Not to our own throne, not to the throne of another, not to the world, the flesh, and the devil that promises so much and delivers so little. David's king, David, his line endures on and on. That's where there's true future security. Who is he that will come again? The coming son of David. He is coming again. Now he is man, he has suffered, but his suffering is no more. His suffering is ended. He suffered once, the just, for the unjust. The just, that is the son of David. The unjust, that is us. We're unjust. We're sinners. We deserve, not the loving chastening described here in this text, but the wrath of God. How can we be accepted into the beloved by faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, don't live for the here and now. It is so tempting, I, I beg of you. There are, there are so many temptations in this world. We are so comfortable in so many ways. We open up the fridge and it is full of food. Previous generations would not have known anything like that. It is often when the fridge is full when our presses are filled with food, when we have all that we think we need, we don't cry out to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Don't live for the here and there. It's not worth it. Live for the coming Son of David. Amen. Let us pray before Almighty God.